This podcast was brought to you by Optus Stadium. Now taking orders for your next breakfast or lunch meeting. Good afternoon and welcome to At Close of Business, a daily podcast hosted by Business News. Challenger telcos are deepening their Western Australian networks as new technologies and structural shortcomings embolden alternatives to the NBN. On today's episode of Our Close of Business, I speak with senior journalist Matt McKenzie about lightning speeds in a split market and bridging the digital divide. But first, here's the news you need to know today. Mining magnate Clive Palmer has lost his High Court battle against the state government over legislation introduced to thwart his $30 billion damages claim, with the High Court finding it was not invalid. The Mineralogy Chair had been chasing damages from the Western Australian government, alleging the legislation passed was discriminatory and unconstitutional. The legal action centred around a second court case over a 2012 decision by the Barnett government, which prevented him from developing Mineralogy's Balmoral South Iron Ore project based in the Pilbara. The decision affected the company's ability to sell the project and prompted it to sue for damages. A hearing had been scheduled for November 2020, but the state government passed extraordinary legislation through Parliament in August to amend its 20-year-old agreement with Mineralogy and terminate arbitration between the two parties. The legislation was passed amid an ongoing public feud between Premier Mark McGowan and Mr Palmer over the state's COVID-19 border arrangements. During the four-day hearing in June, Mr Palmer, who appeared for himself, had argued that the amending act was discriminatory and that the government had singled him out for being a Queensland resident. But in a judgment released this morning, the High Court unanimously disagreed and ruled in favour of the WA government. And the state opposition has criticised Port's Minister Rita Safiotti for delaying action in an ongoing strike at Fremantle Port, which has resulted in millions of dollars worth of imports being diverted to the eastern states. Yesterday, Minister Safiotti publicly confirmed that she had lodged a written request with the National Employment Watchdog earlier this week, where she reportedly called for intervention on the strike. The minister is understood to have been approached by a number of representatives from industry in connection with with the strike, but Port's spokesperson Colin de Grassa questioned why the minister had waited until now to intervene in a dispute which had been ongoing since July. In a statement today, Mr de Grassa said the minister would have been well aware that she could have requested intervention from Fair Work Australia and that the lack of action had added considerable pressure to an already overburdened agricultural sector. The strikes forced three ships containing farming machinery to bypass Perth last week and make for Adelaide or Melbourne in Instead, the disruption comes after Cube employees at the port downed tools on July 30 as part of a campaign to gain better working conditions and to address ongoing fatigue issues. The opposition spokesperson encouraged the Fair Work Commission to take necessary action. And in mining news, the Gascoigne Resources Board has urged shareholders to reject a $110 million takeover offer from Westgold Resources, labelling the deal as inadequate. Gascoigne affirmed it would instead provide 
proceed with a previously proposed merger with Subiaco-based gold explorer Firefly Resources, advising Westgold's counteroffer did not represent a superior alternative. The takeover target says its board remains committed to completing a scheme of implementation deed arranged with Firefly back in June. Westgold lobbed an off-market takeover bid for Gascoigne back in September, offering one of its shares for every four shares in Gascoigne. Gascoigne today announced that Westgold's offer undervalued company shares and that major shareholders intended to reject the deal. Gascoigne shares are down 9.52% and trading at 38 cents as of this afternoon. We'll be right back. Those in the know know Optus Stadium is the perfect place to host. Weddings, parties, anything. Whatever the size of your wedding, ball, graduation or sundowner, our award-winning Optus Stadium makes the perfect backdrop. Our space equals peace of mind. Our chefs equal world-class catering. Our service equals happy guests. Want to create lasting memories for your guests? Visit optusstadium.com.au to find out more. Jordan, you and I have switched places today because I'll be interviewing you about your fascinating feature on ICT, uh, which included a cracking cover photo there of uh, Steve Cornish from Pentanet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, f- I find this very interesting because when, I, when the NBN was uh, delivered in my area, I wasn't necessarily knocking down the door to go and get it. Maybe I'm a little bit lazy. Um, but one thing that's fascinating is that there are some private companies smaller private companies competing with the NBN, Jordan. Indeed. How the market has changed. I can remember five years ago when it was an absolute nightmare trying to get fast internet to do anything. I live out in Auburn Grove, right? And we didn't have NBN at the time. And it was an absolute pain to try and stream anything, to try and get online, or even to work from home, which we did for significant parts of last year through the initial part of the COVID-19 pandemic. All of this has been made achievable by the MBM, but also by challenger telcos who've entered the market with their fixed wireless solutions. And I profiled a handful of them in this article to kind of make the point that challenger telcos are moving into this market and they're getting some really good business from it. And yes, Pentanet's a a good example. Uh, Many people will be familiar with them through their a sponsorship of the Perth Wildcats, which began in the 2018 NBL season. Uh, and they're making some really significant moves. So they listed on the ASX uh, about nine months ago now. Uh, and they're commissioning some technology called TerraGraph technology, which is set to expand their fixed wireless network through these little Facebook-created mesh signals. I'm not entirely sure how the technology works, but it sounds really fascinating because, you know, this essentially stops them having to go out and build infrastructure while allowing them to add customers onto the network and increase speeds at the same time. Uh, And ostensibly, this will help them with the the rollout of NVIDIA's GeForce platform, which allows for cloud gaming, which is fascinating to me because when Google tried to roll out Stadia about two years ago, it was a whole nightmare. And Australia wasn't going to get it at the time because ostensibly, Australia's internet wasn't good enough to support it. And so to think that we have a private company coming in and offering that is so fascinating to me. There's a few other businesses. Swoop's another notable one. And I spoke to Tony Grist, who's backed that company. They're based in New South Wales and they acquired Node1 Internet earlier this year on their way to a reverse listing through, I think the business was called Stemify. Uh, Andrew Forrest has also backed that business. And they've gone on this sort of acquisition spree, picking up a bunch of regional fixed wireless providers. And their share price has really skyrocketed in the past few months and they're doing really well for themselves. And there's a few other businesses. Aussie Broadband's another notable one. And they operate in that retail space, appealing to consumers who maybe aren't thrilled with the MBN and want something faster. And again, it's so notable that we have a private competitor 
competitor that, that can offer something faster than what is already pretty fast. Yeah, it's fascinating. And partly the interest in all of this is, I mean, we talk, we always joke about streaming services, but gosh, you know, if you can have um, high-speed internet used to, to run a robot in a mine or to um, remotely operate equipment in a factory or whatever else, and 5G also has potential for this, uh, you know, you can use it for VR, uh, all sorts of things. But there are big implications for business potentially. Uh, it's often said that people out in the regions are, are kind of left behind on the internet. So what's the impact on Kathy Kalgoorlie? What's the internet like out there? <laughs> well, for Kathy Kalgoorlie and the 25% of Western Australians that don't live in Perth, it's a bit difficult. And some of the private competitors have done what they can out there. So Telstra, I note, does a few programs here that are jointly funded with federal government to provide internet to people who don't really have much of an option out there in Kalgoorlie. But, uh, you know, I spoke to a handful of people and ComCenter WA, led by a gentleman by the name of David Povey, uh, he was saying to me that, you know, there are many towns that have smaller populations that they don't receive that terrestrial service and they have to rely on things like satellite services that don't really deliver the same performance or bandwidth as you would receive in the metropolitan areas, right? And he's worked with a few businesses out in the regions. He's worked with schools to try and get them connected and there's a lot of issues with trying to set up a stable connection if you have a business. It speaks to some of those structural issues that are somewhat difficult to overcome because in metropolitan areas, the fact that we're so enmeshed together allows for us to be closer to the either the telephone exchange or to have fibre to the premises connection done cheaply. When you live out in the regions and maybe there's only a few hundred people who live in a town with you, it's not as easy as that. And in fact, there's a lot of situations where if one consumer demands the faster internet, well, they've got to pay for the requisite infrastructure when they go to the MBN and ask for it. So again, while you and I might have better internet connection these days, it's really not the case for regional Western Australians. And it's one of those things that I think uh, a lot of businesses are still struggling with to this day. One thing there that's also pretty interesting is I know that uh, internationally there are some big guys, you know, Elon Musk is one looking at the the satellite network. And I think uh, there's at least another big company looking at something similar, which will improve internet potentially in regional areas. So it's a space to watch. Um, What's the future in Australia? What's next on the agenda? MBM privatisation. And I know that uh, we've spoken a bit about privatisation just a week ago, in fact. Yeah. And uh, this has been long mooted. So I think the network had to reach practical completion under federal legislation before this whole process could be considered. Well, Paul Fletcher declared it practically complete in December. So the initial hurdles have sort of been overcome at this point. Uh, the network, I believe, is worth about $51 billion. So it remains to be seen if it goes to market costing that much. But uh, there's still a few hurdles in the way. I believe there has to be a Productivity Commission-led inquiry into the network's privatisation. Ostensibly, this is so uh, another provider doesn't pull it into its grasp and create a vertically integrated service provision. Uh, this would nominally rule out Telstra as far as I'm aware, but they spun out their infrastructure arm into something called InfraCo recently. And as I understand it, this was done explicitly with the purpose of possibly acquiring the MBM when it went to market. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see if this helps with some of those issues in the region. In a lot of circumstances, one of the issues I heard was that about 20 years ago, Telstra was pretty much your only provider. They owned all the pipes, they owned all the networks, they owned all the telephone exchanges. And a lot of the time, that was who you were enthralled to. And so if MBN is privatised and it was broken up and sold in parts, that might overcome some of these issues that inherently happen when a business is privatised and effectively what was a public monopoly becomes a private monopoly. Yeah, and the government will have an interesting hurdle to overcome 
come there as well because there's been some talk about needing to write down the value. Mm. Uh, I would think though, if you're going to do, if you're going to have to do a write down um, at a privatization, it's a good time when you've got an out of control deficit because you know previously when the budget was getting back into surplus, they were very reluctant to do the write down. Now they've got a deficit. Um, it might be time to bite the bullet, and and from there you'll be able to take uh, you'll be able to take a privatization process at a fair price. Squeeze every penny. <laughs> Uh, but it's a, a very interesting topic and uh, something that uh, we love to look at and you're very good at it, Jordan, so thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. We understand that business relies on being informed. That's why Business News is your most reliable source of news, industry insights and business connections. To stay fully informed, we encourage you to subscribe to our emails, flick through our magazine and visit businessnews.com.au for daily news updates. It's the best way to ensure you have the information you need to be future ready. Business news. More news, more insights, more connections. This podcast was brought to you by Optus Stadium. Now taking orders for your next breakfast or lunch meeting. If you like what you've heard, head to our Spotify page to like and subscribe. New episodes of At Close of Business are available every day in time for our afternoon wrap. I'm Jordan Murray. See you tomorrow.